Hi, Simon. How's it going today? I'm good. I'm good. Super nice to be here. How are you doing? Very well. Very well. Thank you. But if you don't mind, you know, if you could just you know, hit the ground running and uh, introduce yourself to the community, tell us what you're doing and um, what you're about. Sure. So, so I'm Simon. I am one of the co-founders uh, and CEO of Vault Labs. Um, and we have built uh, Vault's protocol, uh, which I can talk to in a minute. I guess perhaps just very briefly to touch on my background. So this is actually now my third financial technology company using that in the broadest possible sense. Um, so just some, some kind of detail around that. The first first actually wasn't successful, but I just learned a, a huge amount. Um, the second one is now uh, kind of scaling internationally, uh, which is obviously really great to see uh, and doing phenomenally well. And then obviously this is the third and um, uh, like the first two are fintech in the more traditional sense. And obviously this is DeFi. But the, the thread across all of them has really been about uh, kind of using leading edge technologies uh, to find ways to just build a better financial services sector. And uh, what we're doing with Vaults is, is uh, you know, obviously got the potential to be kind of really, really huge and not just huge for DeFi, but actually huge in terms of what it means for um, uh, kind of financial services markets across the whole world. Uh, and that that's pretty exciting. Awesome. That's pretty cool. Thank you. Thank you for the quick intro. Um, so that being said, you know, um, would like you to tell us what Volts is and, um, you know, what's exciting about Volts and why, you know, what's the why behind, but you could also, you know, start with what Volts is and like the why behind everything. Yeah, sure. So Volts is an interest rate swap. AMM. Uh, and I guess to explain the significance of that before explaining like some of the detail of the, rate, the way in which it works. So interest rate swaps, if we just look at traditional finance as an example, it, it is the biggest market in the whole of traditional finance. So there's actually this cartoonishly large number uh, of a quadrillion in notional exchanged each year. Um, uh, which is actually almost like cartoonish to the point it's it's very difficult to understand so like how big that number actually is so so to put it in perspective it is, is roughly 10 times the size of all us equity trading volume that takes place per annum so it's wow. 10 times bigger than that it's just insanely big and it is that big because it's it's so incredibly important to a well-functioning financial system and supports a really wide set of use cases uh, across uh, risk management, across speculation, uh, but also across like the construction of a whole bunch of different uh, products, both for corporates and also for retail users. So if you were to go to your like person on the street and say, have you heard of an interest rate swap? They'd probably say no. But if you'd say, have you heard of a fixed rate mortgage? or fixed rate savings account, they'd probably say yes. And what's actually happening is in the background, um, that product is being uh, kind of packaged up by using an interest rate swap, which is kind of like a super low level piece of capital markets infrastructure. And, and what that means when we kind of look at it from the context of DeFi, is kind of like if we, if we really want DeFi to become the financial system for the whole of the world, we need this pillar of DeFi to exist. Um, and what it does by existing is it enables us to build a much wider set of products and services um, such that we can essentially serve the financial needs of the whole of the world. Um, so without DeFi, like 
or in order for DeFi to deliver on its grand vision of, of becoming the world's financial system, like we need this piece of infrastructure to exist, which is essentially why we went and built it. Awesome. Wow. It's pretty crazy. One of the interesting things, one of the things I found interesting was, you know, talking about how people could resonate with a fixed interest rate, but not so much, um, you know, um, interest rate swapping. And so one of the questions we, one of the things we discussed yesterday was trying to figure out what exactly um, interest rates trading or swapping is and like how does votes facilitate all of that and uh, you know the mechanism behind everything that that functions yeah so the if if i kind of stay a little bit more macro before kind of going into the way that the amm works so at the highest level what an interest rate swap enables you to do is enables you to transition from something that's variable to something that's fixed or from something that's fixed to something that's variable. Um, and it therefore essentially enables you to have like one side, which is variable and volatile and the other side, which is, which is stable and predictable. Um, uh, which, which basically means that, um, it kind of what we've had in DeFi so far, which, which is actually like quite exciting and, and, and it's been like a fun few years, but we've had this, kind of very variable, volatile kind of ecosystem where uh, obviously there's there's been a bunch of coins that have kind of gone up kind of very quickly and all this type of stuff. And the yields alongside that have been extremely volatile and variable in nature. Um, but what that means is we kind of get these cycles where because you don't have stability built into the ecosystem or the option for stability to be built into the ecosystem for those that want it, you, you get these like boom and bust type cycles. But with interest rate swaps as a mechanic, you have, because you have the opportunity to build stability into the ecosystem for those that want it, you can actually get a much more kind of like stable uh, growth where you don't have a boom and bust, you kind of have a boom and just a maintenance of a boom. Um, so that that's like the most macro level, but if it's helpful, I can talk about the way in which the AMM works as well. Yes, yes, yes. If you don't mind, that'll be cool. Yeah, so the, the, we have an, uh, an AMM that functions uh, in some ways very similar to the way that Uniswap V3 works, uh, where you uh, have uh, kind of the three different actors on the protocol. Uh, so you have liquidity providers, which provide liquidity uh, for traders to use. And then you have two different types of traders. Um, so on a Uniswap v3 pool those traders would be uh for example die and eth so if someone's wanting to buy die and sell eth they can do that and if someone's wanting to buy eth and sell die they can do that um but with a rates market instead of having two assets like die and eth instead you have two different types of rates um, which is fixed rates and variable rates uh and what what that means is that you have the liquidity providers that are providing the liquidity to create the market. Um, and then you have people on either side where uh, they are acting as what we describe as a fixed taker, where you are selling a variable rate and buying a fixed rate of return, or you're acting as a variable taker where you're selling a, a fixed rate and buying a variable rate of return. Um, uh, and those those two different types of act or traders are basically the ones which are either looking for stability if you're a fixed taker 
or you're looking to essentially lever your exposure to variable rates of return if you're a variable taker. But I guess at the highest level, that's the way that it works. All right. So essentially, we'll obviously need two parties participating in this to enable this to function as it should. Yes, you, you have to have the liquidity providers creating the liquidity, and then you have the traders on either side. Yeah. Mm, awesome. Awesome. So, um, so I'm wondering when it, um, you know, uh, I do have um, an idea of what this is for, you know, everyone else in the audience. When it comes to tra trade fi, as it is called, traditional finance, um, how big and how essential is the role of interest rate swap? Yeah, it kind of comes back to some of the stuff that I was um, mentioning earlier around the, the fact that it's a, it's a quadrillion. Uh, there's a quadrillion of notional exchange each year in traditional mm -hmm. finance interest rate swaps, which is literally the biggest market in the world. Um, and, and it's that big because it's, to come back to this point, it, it supports very broadly three use cases. Uh, so on one hand, there's speculation, um, and this applies to vaults too. Like you can speculate on uh, rates, and actually we have produced uh, a bunch of strategies uh, there's one which we kind of released the other week on our Twitter thread. Um, there's some more which we're going to be releasing pretty soon, uh, where you can, now that you can actually trade rates, we're very much creating a new market in DeFi. Um, you can actually build a bunch of like, very interesting trading models to take advantage of the way in which rates are, are created. Um, so that's speculation. That's one use case in traditional finance. The other two are, like, number two, uh, risk management. Um, and this, this also applies in, in DeFi, where you might have, say, a lending business, so a CFI organization, uh, where they are taking, this is very relevant given what's happening at the moment, but they might be taking consumer deposits um, uh, and promising them a fixed rate, but then be deploying it all into DeFi where they can only get a variable rate of return. And what that means is that they actually have a liability mismatch on their balance sheet and they've got no way of hedging that risk and, and basically trading that exposure away until Vault's launched. Like, so now that Vault's launched, now you have interest rates on DeFi, you can do that type of risk management. And then, and then the third main use case is around like the construction of uh, structured products or, or construction of products rather. So for corporates, that is uh, structured products. Um, so this can be anything like a covered call option, uh, like to uh, even just an interest rate swap cap or a floor or swaptions, that type of thing. Um, or for consumers, is actually stuff which can vary from things that are very simple, like a fixed rate savings account, through to stuff like a fixed rate mortgage. Mm. And, and when we think about that construction of products in DeFi, this is actually one of the areas where we're seeing the most activity at the moment. Um, so we've got a we've got a whole bunch of teams who are building on top of the protocol now that this new market has essentially been created in, in DeFi. And they're building stuff that ranges from simple use cases like a fixed rate vault um, through to more complicated use cases such as uh, using uh, like an interest rate swap as a form of stable coin collateralization, which is pretty interesting. Um, uh, and we've actually got two teams just doing that. Um, then through to stuff like there are teams that are building out swaptions. There's uh, other teams which are building 
um, uh, kind of trading strategies, uh, which would enable people just to deposit assets into into that vault and, and get exposure to a specific yield generating strategy. Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff which is now suddenly possible of the fact that vaults has launched. Yeah, quite, quite very, very impressive stuff, you know. Um, while you know we're just going through this conversation, remembering some of the things we talked about with um, Saul and Mr. Fuse um, yesterday, and um, you know mentioned that Vault is you know is an infrastructure, you know, a low-level primitive for every other individual who might be interested in building on top of what you currently have. And so I suppose my question, you know, to that would be, how powerful do you think Vault is, or how powerful do you think Vault can get? And um, you know, what are your, what do you see the future of both as an ecosystem where developers, engineers are coming in and, um, and building stuff on, on top of the protocol? Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> I don't want to sound like too graft, but like honestly, the objective for Vaults is to become the biggest piece of financial infrastructure in the whole of the world, and that's the reason for that is because it's. Uh, kind of just going to displace what is the biggest market in the whole of the world. Um, mm. and, and kind of practically how that will work and how we see that playing out is that to begin with, obviously, we're very DeFi focused right now um, in, t- like in terms of our focus. So, so it is a very low level primitive. It's deliberately designed so that it is capital efficient. It's uh, generalizable. Um, it will become permissionless over time as we decentralize. Uh, it is also uh, deliberately all uh, built so that it's on-chain to make it composable. Um, so we don't have anything that exists off-chain. It's all, it's all on-chain. Um, uh, and what we're seeing happen right now is we're seeing a lot of teams coming into the Discord, uh, kind of identifying the fact that there is this new market that has been created and, and recognizing like the, the builder opportunities that are available to them. Um, and what we do with those teams is we typically set up, in fact, we always set up uh, like one-on-one uh, kind of like rooms with with like Devolts Labs team, and then really where wherever someone is in their kind of stage of of development, um, whether that be ideation or whether it be much much later stage, we we then help them um, uh, such that we already have two teams which are live with products which are built on top of the protocol. Uh, and we've got a long backlog of other teams who are working at the moment. But then what, what we want to do beyond that is actually, um, over time, we want to displace all of the trading activity that currently takes place in traditional financial interest rate swaps. And we want all of that to come on chain and start going through Vault's protocol. And the thing that I often say to people here is there's, there's an entity in London uh, I think I probably care about this a bit more because I'm a Londoner, but there's an entity in London called London Clearinghouse, and it's responsible for about 90% of the world's interest rate swap clearing. Well, and within five years' time, we don't, we don't want it to exist as an entity. We, we think it's a legacy institution using legacy technology and legacy ways of working. And instead, we want all of that to go through vaults um, uh, and through a permissionless decentralized protocol um, where like the, the the markets are more efficient, they're more equitable, they're more transparent. Uh, and we've actually not only have we built out something which is uh, kind of monumentally important for DeFi and for, for the rest of the world, 
we've actually in the process of doing that we we have kind of changed tradfi so to speak we've we've got these people and they've they've been changed such that they have started using a new piece of infrastructure mm. wow so just one entity controlling 90% that's wild so yeah. one of the yeah you did mention that obviously you want votes to be you know be that you know in the future to 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 facilitate you know 100% possibly of the, the transaction and I, uh, even DeFi chat files, as, as it is said. Um, is that correct? Or, to be sure, I'm not no, no, that's, that's completely right. And I think the thing that yeah. I always say to people is I say, well, do, do you believe in the future that a proportion of this trading activity will go through a blockchain-based piece of infrastructure? Mm. And most people answer yes. Like, I believe a proportion will, in the future will go through blockchain-based infrastructure. And my challenge to that is, well, if there's... If you believe that a proportion can go through, then why do you not believe 100% can go through? Right. And at that point, like you know, that's that's basically your your logical argument. It's it's a better way of creating a market. So if we can get five percent by the end of next year, for example, why can't we get 100% by the end of year five? So year five is the um, tentative projection. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just a nice round number, but that's the that's yeah, the, that's I feel you. That's the point I want to go to London Clearing yeah. House, stand there with a sign and be like, I got you fired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that, that, would, that would be cool. I mean, considering the fact that just one entity in a particular um, country, not spread across the world, just one country is, is controlling 90%, is, is crazy. Centralized authorities is quite something to be worried about. Um, so, yes, looking forward to, you know, that being you know, handled by a decentralized protocol. That 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 is the dream. Yeah. Um yeah. moving to, you know, slightly more technical things, you know, um, I'd like you to, you know, if you touch a bit on concentrated liquidity as it is used by votes and like how exactly that solves a problem, you know, that you might have or might have had at the moment. Yes. So if if I explain the non-concentrated version first. So mm. version one of Uniswap, V1 of Uniswap was described as an experiment. So it's actually V2, which they often refer to. Um, but that uses a formula of X times Y equals K, which uh, might not mean much, but essentially the way that that works is that if you're a liquidity provider, and you're wanting to provide liquidity into a pool, your liquidity basically ends up on, on a curve to massively simplify it. And, and it ends up on a curve. Um, and because of the formula that's used, your liquidity is actually spread across the entire surface of that curve, um, which means it actually goes to infinity on the x-axis and infinity on the y-axis. Uh, so your liquidity ends up very, very thinly spread across this pricing curve. And what concentrated liquidity enables you to do is it enables you to say, like, no, actually, I don't want my liquidity to be spread across the entire pricing curve. I believe trading activity will happen between these two price points. And therefore, I want my liquidity to exist, like, within those two price points. So it's no longer across the whole pricing curve, it's just within two points. Um, and that that's what concentrated liquidity kind of means. And what we've done at Vault is we've used the concept of concentrated liquidity in the Vault's AMM 
um, which not only makes the market considerably more capital efficient, and actually the headline there is it's about 3,000 times more capital efficient than alternative models, but it, it also means that as a, a liquidity provider, you're able to deposit liquidity within your chosen price ranges, um, making your liquidity uh, more capital efficient. And the other way of saying that is it, it has the potential to collect like higher fees than it would if it wasn't as capital efficient. And, and I guess just to talk to the reason for that design decision just briefly. So uh, with rates markets, what's actually kind of interesting is if you look at the rate of a die, for example. So if you deposit Ave onto uh, onto sorry, if you deposited die onto Ave, um, that's got a rate of return associated with it, which is to do with their interest rate swap model. Um, but that rate of return tends to have some form of like mean reversing behavior, which basically means if the rate increases, it's likely to come back to another point at some point in the future. Um, which means that as a liquidity provider, if you kind of understand the, the ranges within which a rate may move, instead of having your liquidity um, spread across the entire price curve, which is what happens without concentrated liquidity, uh, you can actually deliberately choose these two points uh, within which you expect the interest rate to move and therefore the majority of trading activities to take place, uh, which which is, and then the reason I make that point is it is concentrated liquidity on Uniswap pools where you might have die ETH and obviously the price of ETH is volatile, which means that you're constantly changing the tick ranges within which you're depositing your liquidity as an LP. Actually, in rates markets, because they tend to exhibit some form of mean reversing behavior, um, it's actually a much, much, much better use case for concentrated liquidity than it is in a Uniswap AMM. Does that make sense? Yes, makes sense. So I'm curious, um, what is, what is, okay, so matter go for a bit more, uh, I would say, maybe a more nuanced approach, a different perspective could be what is leverage trading and um, how does Volt utilize leverage trading to facilitate interest rate swapping? Yeah, so, so a non-levered trade is, is kind of what happens on Uniswap or Avian Compound where you're kind of if i if i want to receive or it's kind of a bit difficult to explain it the, the the number of assets that i'm kind of putting into the amm uh is the total amount a total size of my trade so if i'm putting 100 die in in order to exchange that for ETH, for example um like i'm going to get 100 dies worth of ETH. um whereas what you can do when you're trading with leverage uh, it's kind of a bad example because you actually exchange it there as opposed to taking the directional view. But it, when you're exchanging with leverage, if you have a view in the in terms of the direction which an asset price might move, so in that instance, you could be buying ETH because you think ETH price is going to go up. But actually what you could do when you're trading with leverage is instead of actually buying the asset, um, you can deposit margin to cover, cover a position. And, and in that instance, say, I want to go long ETH uh, and potentially trade with like 10, 20x, 30x leverage, and you just deposit margin to cover 
uh, any potential losses if the price of ETH were to, instead of it going up, it were to drop. Um, so the kind of the highest level, that's that's the concept of leverage. And I guess why it's so important with interest rates is if an interest rate, if you so if you if I take that same example and compare it to rates. So instead of thinking ETH prices are going to go up, imagine you think the price of a variable rate of return is going to go up. Mm. Um, well, rates don't move the same way that uh, asset prices Assets do. do. Yeah. yeah, so they, they tend to move by much, much smaller amounts. Mm. So even if a rate were to move by 100 basis points, which is 1%, um, like a 1% return is obviously not particularly attractive. So you mm. have to be trading it with leverage to make the returns attractive. Mm. Um, which obviously if you're trading 1% with 100x leverage that actually isn't pretty attractive you've doubled your money mm. uh, so that's why it's so important for us to have leverage trading within the vaults mechanic and that I think is one of the really big things that architecturally we figured out which is how to create an AMM for rates that also has leverage so it stands to reason that leverage trading is the reason why vaults or interest rate swap um, actually do make sense right or from a from a significant profit perspective right yeah if you you could do an interest rate swap without leverage but it just yes. wouldn't wouldn't be interesting or is yes. the risk not being interesting but because you and we we've put out some content to explain this actually the way the margin engine works in some instances your safe amount of leverage is actually like well over 100x mm. uh, uh, because of the mechanic that we built, it's like it is actually safe to take 100x or more leverage it in, in some pool. And then that does become attractive because even if it moves by 50 basis points, um, if you're doing that with 100x leverage, that's like a 50% return. Mm, yeah, cool. So leverage, yes. Yeah, I mean, well, high risk, high reward, I suppose. Yeah, but I guess the point that because the rates don't move by as much, if, you're, yes. so if, you, if you take 100x leverage on the price of ETH, then you're also going to be exposed to pretty significant downside. Mm. But because the rates don't move that dramatically, if you're taking 100x leverage on Vault's protocol, um, uh, you're not exposed to the same potential or the same risk of loss as you would if you took 100x leverage on the price of ETH, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. If you were to give a ratio to that, like um, leverage based off of ETH and leverage based on, on interest rate swap on votes, what's the ratio to um, being exposed to massive downside on ETH and then votes? Yeah, it, vary, it so it varies like per pool because some rates are more volatile than others. Mm. Um, uh, I, I don't actually, we could probably do this relatively quickly, but what, what we did is we released, we put out an article where we basically showed that under certain conditions, uh, you're only exposed. You've got a five percent risk of loss. It's basically the point. Um, so if you and it, because different markets are more volatile than others in terms of the rate market, um, I think that the most volatile you could take hundred x leverage and only be exposed to five percent risk of loss. And actually, in some markets, you could take around three thousand x leverage and only be exposed to 5% risk of loss. Whoa. Whereas if you did that with ETH, if you took 3,000x leverage, you'd probably be like, like over 50%, or if not more, right? Like, um, uh, which just shows you the difference in the volatility of the two assets. 
Yeah, makes sense. I mean, every only thing I'm thinking right now is yeah, I probably should be taking leverage and uh, on holds as opposed to doing anything else at this point. I mean, being exposed to five percent risk of loss is is um, comforting, you could say, as opposed to anything else at a hundred x leverage. Exactly. So that is that that is interesting. So, guys, um, you know, I think you might and want a to part consider. Of- just what it's worth, part of why we put out these articles is obviously like we've created a new market and like could completely recognize that, that there's an education educational period that's required. But um, mm. the average leverage that people are taking on the protocol at the moment is, is around 6x, uh, mm. when actually you could take 100x very safely. Mm. So that's why we put the article out. Yes, that is important information to, to know to know about because, you know, um, we're talking about the ISC as well, you know, considering the fact that this is a fairly new market, a fairly <clears throat> new space, it's going to be a relatively significant barrier to entry for a lot of people, a lot of enthusiasts. And I mean, crypto is already one in itself, right? There's a lot to learn, a lot to read up about. And then there is, <clears throat> then there are interest rates, DeFi, and then there is votes. And so I was asking Mr. Fuse, what were the steps voters taken? to educate and to provide resources necessary for people to <clears throat> easily maneuver or navigate, you know, what you're building. And yes, it did share um, the, the URL where we could learn as much. And so, so yes, I mean, for example, if we would never had this conversation, uh, maybe I never you know, read or stumbled upon the resource link, I never would have figured that, oh, I could actually take 100x leverage and like not have to be scared that I might get wrecked. And so, so yes, this, this is an important piece of information to get out there. And um, I'm pretty sure in due time, we'll be in the hands of many. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, uh, well, it, the fact that you can take 100x leverage and only be exposed to 5% risk of loss, so, or 5% risk of getting wrecked. Uh, like, <laughs> that, 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 that's, that's pretty significant. Like, and, and particularly in light of the fact that people are doing like 6x, it's, um, like your your risk of loss at six x leverage, mm-hmm. but it's described as your value at risk is uh is actually considerably low. Yeah, I mean, also people could probably just be doing that because the as far as leverage trading is concerned, based off of the definition they are aware of, could be from a much more assets based um, trading, and then they're like, ah, six x is safe. I'd rather not. <laughs> but um, if they perhaps again, like we talked about, are much more aware that at 100x leverage, you're only exposed to 5%, then I'm pretty sure that number will go up pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. It's worth, just for what it's worth, I think it's worth people reading the article just to understand it properly. And obviously, uh, would always mm-hmm. encourage people to do their own research before making trades and that type of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, certainly the fact that leverage is, is safe from both is an important important point. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Thank you for that. So, um, so I'm curious, when, when starting to use votes, right, when users starting to use votes, what are what level of efficiency is achievable in interest rate swap? I suppose this is a question from a user perspective, and I guess even from an architectural perspective, right? How efficient is the structure behind it, and how how was it built? Yes, yeah, so when we were designing the protocol, one of the things that um, Archer and I were really focused on was like, how do you make the protocol as capital efficient as possible? Um, uh, and Kind of the, the high level reason for that is markets are supposed to be capital efficient, um, and I guess the other way of saying that is that with a smaller amount of money, you've got depositing a smaller amount of money, you've got the potential to make higher returns, um, 
so markets should be capital efficient. Uh, so we're really focused on that. And what we did architecturally to try and make the protocol as capital efficient as possible is we uh, did two things. First of all, we, we split out the AMM from what we describe as the margin engine. Um, so we actually have what we describe as a virtual AMM, uh, which uh, essentially uh, acts as a pricing oracle um, uh, as trading activity takes place on the protocol. Uh, so what actually practically happens there is we mint and burn uh, fixed and variable tokens, uh, which moves the price on the AMM. Um, uh, but that enables us to mint and burn uh, kind of fixed and variable tokens that are kind of much higher than the actual assets that someone's depositing as margin. And that mm. that point brings me on to like the margin engine. So that you split this into two. What the margin engine does is it allows you to deposit margin with a certain amount of leverage. And that defines the notional of your trade. And it's that notional that gets minted or burnt um, in the AMM. Um, uh, so that because of that kind of separation, we can now have leverage in the system uh, where you're where you're depositing margin as a trader. And then the other thing which we did to uh, kind of improve capital efficiency was this point around concentrated liquidity. So by uh, having concentrated liquidity for LPs, it just means that the LPs capital is is considerably more capital efficient. Um, and what, what happens when you layer those two things together, because LPs, not, they also get to benefit from the fact that you deposit margin as an LP, but you create a much larger amount of notional liquidity that can be traded with. When you when you kind of add those two things together, the, the net impact is that we've created a market that's around 3,000 times more capital efficient than alternative ways of creating an interest rate swap market. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Um, yeah, you, yeah, you've done a decent, or not a decent, done pretty good job with like a lot of background work. I remember Mr. Hughes, uh, was it so talking about how there was like six months worth of planning going into the thinking, the structuring process of everything. Yeah, um, yeah, that's quite yeah. impressive. Well done. Yeah, so we spent is about six months of research in total. Like the, f the first three months is very much focused on like macro level research. So mm. uh, trying to work out what we felt was going to be the next zero to one innovation that moved the whole space forward. Um, mm. And that's where we focused on interest rate swaps. Um, and then the second three months is really focused on like, okay, now we've decided to build interest rate swaps. Uh, like how on earth do you do that in a world where uh, the, it's not like you can just copy paste something from traditional right. like the constraints are just completely different mm -hmm. um, so we had to really think from first principles and mm -hmm. kind of design it bottom up and, and that obviously took around three months and, and within that the things that we were really uh, optimizing for was uh, or were to be as capital efficient as possible mm -hmm. um, plus to be fully on chain such that we can become or the protocol can become uh, like a generalizable primitive um, that's fully permissionless and a super low level piece of infrastructure that everybody can build on top of. And that, that just inevitably took a period of research. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's, that is interesting. Also, what I found interesting was while you were speaking, it occurred to me, you know, um, that it wasn't the case or, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it wasn't the case that you set out to build an interest rate swap AMM. You sort of like thought through that process and then decided to build an interest rate swap AMM, right? Exactly. We spent the first three months um, 
really figuring out what we felt was going to be the next zero to one innovation that moved the whole sector mm. forward. Mm. And actually, that's that's why I was making this point at the beginning around interest rate swaps in traditional finance. They're just they're just an integral pillar to that system mm. um, because it unlocks all of these new use cases and strategies and products and all this type of stuff. Um, so because of the lack of that within DeFi, we felt like DeFi um, was always going to be constrained um, from its ability to become the financial system for the whole of the world. Mm. Um, and like the most macro point there is, is just to reiterate something I said earlier is like DeFi so far has been this really amazing, fun um, environment, but also it's been extremely volatile. Um, and therefore is only ever going to be useful from a financial perspective um, for a certain type of user who's looking to do a certain type of thing. Uh, but if we actually want it to become the financial system for all the world, you need to have the ability to build stability into products, uh, which is what interest rate swaps enable. Yes, and, and you know, also alongside with stability, you also need to somewhat replicate a lot of what has been done in traditional finance in a much more efficient way and borderless way, you know, with DeFi. Exactly. Awesome. That's pretty cool. So what has been, you know, you could say one of the most exciting things that you had to work on or you, the team, everyone has had to work on while, you know, building and launching those. That's a really good question. I I think the whole journey just has like exciting points at different points in time. Mm. Uh, I think the most exciting thing, so for for those not familiar with kind of where we are in, in the process of, of development, we launched on the 1st of June onto mainnet in what we describe as an alpha launch state. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and what that essentially means is there's a cap on the amount of liquidity that could be provided as an LP per pool. Um, but I think probably the build up to that launch uh, was like the most exciting point for the entire team because uh, we'd spent so much, so long both researching and then actually building the, the protocol. And it's important to point out for the protocol, like it's not we're not just a fork of another project. There's everything had to be built from the bottom up, um, uh, and actually people said it would take us around six months to build the whole thing, but we managed to do it in about three. Um, uh, so we did it incredibly quickly, uh, but then actually going through that launch process, I think was one of the most exciting points for the for the team. Yep, same answer as Mr. Fuser, and so must have been quite the experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad they said the same thing. Yeah, the same exact thing. You know, must have been quite the experience. Happy for you guys. Congratulations one more time. Thanks. Thanks. Um, so yeah, um, I think this might be my final question. While I hope wait for questions to come up. Um, so what would you say, or perhaps what is one question you wish we asked in terms of a particular piece of information you always want to get out of there? It's like, oh, we're building an interest rate swap. This is what you should know, right? Um, and maybe perhaps we missed that question. What what would that be? Yeah, I, I think it's probably, uh, well, I, what I'd probably do actually instead is, is just talk to some of the things that are coming up. So mm. we launched the protocol uh, on uh, the 1st of June, as I was saying, uh, with some stable coin pools on Aave and Compound. Um, mm. So ADI, a, a, a AUSDC and CDI pools. Mm. Um, but coming up soon, we are actually going to have uh, some new markets 
So one of the ones which we've been public talking about is Lido. Uh, so you can start speculating on the rates of ETH, or state ETH rather. Um, uh, uh, so that that's going to be pretty exciting. Uh, and there's going to be a few other markets which will launch alongside that, but we haven't been public about those yet. Um, but then also alongside that, there's not only is just that the new markets are also actually building out a whole bunch of uh, like trading strategies to generate returns of trading rates. And we're turning them into very simple uh, kind of vaults um, that kind of consumers uh, or kind of like anybody listening to this call uh, can just deposit assets into uh, to start picking up yield off the fact that they are trading rates. So that is a product is something we're kind of excited about because mm. uh, it enables people to start coming in and getting exposure to, to rates trading without like having to get over the entire learning curve of understanding the way in which interest rate swaps work. All right. Thank you so much, Simon, for you know taking the time out to talk to us about interest rate swap and everything that Volts is building. Um, yeah, it's no problem. Honestly, it's, it's super nice to be here. So thanks for having us. Yes, thank you so much. So much fun.